Dave Sabell is an expert in IT services. He has been a managed IT services provider for successful software companies, and his mission is to provide you with IT solutions that give you great business results. In this episode, we talk about the evolution of the IT services market, how small companies can improve their tech stacks, the practicalities of hybrid work, and the importance of diversity in IT leadership. We take a deep dive on industry trends in IT, and Dave gives advice for navigating the complex intersection of technology and business. I knew I was going to be in computers since I was little. Like, it was just like, I'm a tech guy. I just knew that was what I wanted to do. And picked the major. I mean, I knew coming in, that was my major. And I never deviated and, you know, took a bunch of stuff around it because I have a liberal arts degree, uh, but focused on that. And then if you'd ask college Dave, like, what I thought I was going to do, I probably wouldn't tell you, like, oh, I'm going to be a programmer. I'm going to build products. I'm going to, like, and... That was the beginning of my career. Uh, I worked for a consulting firm to start things off. We did some, pro- we did some product development, some consulting. Then I went to uh, a firm that was, kind of, we would now call it a cloud application service, like cloud SaaS, contract management stuff. But we were way ahead of our time and like crashed and burned. Uh, so like that's the version of my college experience was like, yeah, I know I want to be in technology and computer science was the obvious major that associated with that. Mm. So in college, though, you were doing a lot of things. You were a person that wasn't just always about their course and getting, you know, all that work done. You were doing the college radio. And, you know, what did that landscape look like back then? Was it just straight kind of FM, AM, you know, over the radio waves? Or was there internet radio by that point? Oh God, no, I'm, I'm pre-internet radio. Uh, <laughs> it's like, we were, we were an FM station. Uh, you know, we, we broadcast around the rate, you know, the radius of the college and a few miles beyond you can go all the way into, you know, we, so we could get some of the local towns would get our stuff. And I mean, I'm just, just a music guy. I was a music buff. I'd done some live DJing in high school. Uh, I did some live DJing through college. I did a little bit post college. Uh, and it's more just, I love music. I, I would, and expressing yourself on the radio was a fun way of doing it. Uh, met a bunch of my closest friends were still some of my closest friends to this day through doing college radio. Uh, you get the, you know, you learn a lot, right? You learn a lot about, uh, managing your time and, and having a personality on air and, you know, the dynamics of how production is done and that kind of stuff. But it was really just an outlet. It was a creative, fun outlet to enjoy music. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's important to have what I, what I call a serious hobby, as in something that you take seriously and enjoy, but you don't have any kind of high dreams for it. Because, you know, some people get into music or radio, but I want to be the biggest radio DJ in the world, or I want to be a pop star. It's like, you know what? I'm just having fun. I'm enjoying this. And it's like you said, it's a, a creative outlet. And I, I'm curious, did you yeah. keep that going once you kind of went into the working world as an adult or did it sort of like fall away i'm, I'm wondering what kind of your relationship it was split in that i would do i would do some wedding work like you know and, and live event work post-college literally just friends of friends would know that I, I, a couple of like you know i was the dj for a number of my friends weddings right like like that kind of stuff and and then friends of their friends uh just because it was fun and, and it was a blade and, and i threw party you know i was a social guy through part through parties post-college and i generally was the guy putting the music together for those. Uh, and that's morphed now into like, you know, do I do the playlists and I do the, I do the design work. My wife and I host stuff. Like I do all the lighting and the, and the music and the atmosphere and that kind of stuff. And, and so it was, ju- it was again, just a fun way to get out there and meet people. Uh, I did some DJing between, uh, a friend's bands set post-college. Uh, they were all in a band, a good, a good cover band, you know, the, the, the whole post-college scene for us. And I would DJ between there when they took a set break. And amusingly, that's how I met my wife was at one of those gigs. Uh, I would, you know, the, the band was on and a mutual friend introduced us. So it was just a good social outlet. Cool. That's a, that's a good way to be like, you know, just to kind of, you have work and then you have this other thing that you're doing that you really enjoy. And well, I say really enjoy, you mostly enjoy. And then, you know, you keep <laughs> that going. But you were also kind of very serious about your career because, you know, a lot of people will get into a career and still have this kind of feeling of, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. But you were fully locked in when you were kind of working in the corporate space. I wonder if you can talk to me about the the positions you held, you know, the, the most senior ones and how those businesses were and what you were doing day to day there. 
That's you're so generous with the credit. I wish I could say that I was always that intensely serious. It's more the I like interesting stuff and I like challenging myself. I don't have some master plan. I just know I need to align myself and have a direction that makes sense. So my, I was recruited for my first job out of, out of school uh, by a fellow William Mary alum who, who found me and, and liked and matched to, to my talents, to their what they were doing. Uh, it was kind of a fun late 90s internet roller coaster. Uh, I was recruited to the next gig that I was at, uh, you know, where I was a, I was a product lead. And we were doing fun stuff during all that time frame. Like, I mean, I, I launched an e-commerce website for a major plastics manufacturer in the late 90s, you know, before that was, a, you know, like when that was a unique thing to do uh, and not everybody had that. We did, uh, you know, really interesting internet domain space consulting for large pharmaceutical companies to help them guide their strategy. We did security consulting before that was a thing. Like it was just this pile of interesting work. And then I got, you know, did this product bit. And again, it was like we were trying this really interesting cloud-based service before we called it that. Um, you know, we, we built we built out our own data center. We built out our own, you know, security model. We had a complete signature solution for electronic. It was, it was always just interesting work. Uh, but the lesson in particular that I learned in that second role was I learned the value of the business side of things because I got laid off. Like we all lost our jobs on Valentine's day of 2002, uh, oh, wow. when they let the whole development team go, cause we hadn't sold enough software, but management and sales kept their jobs. And I always quip that I learned that day that the, that management and sales gets to keep their jobs. And I started my first business. Cause I said, I can run a company into the wall just as easily as those <laughs> idiots can. Like, <laughs> but I get to keep my job. That 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 seems like a better play, and that was that was sort of for me the pivot to entrepreneurism. So, what was the business that you started, and, and you know, what was the kind of first day of it like, and the first month of it, you know, going into the years that preceded it or went after it? Terrifying. So <laughs> I, you know, I left. So I, uh, yeah, I lost my job on Valentine's Day, uh, and there's a. There's personal stuff to that, but on the next day, I sort of committed. I was like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a whirl. I'm gonna see if I can get a business off the ground. And if I haven't started generating serious revenue within sort of sixty to ninety days, uh, I got to I got to go get a job." That was the thinking. Um, and so I just started hustling. And I, my idea was, well, I'm not exactly sure what I want to do. Let me see if I can figure out a way to help companies with their technology needs. That was my core basic idea. And I figured, you know what? It's just me. I'm not going to be chasing multi-million dollar deals with you know, Fortune 500 companies. I'll focus on small companies. I'll find local companies that I can help to do this. And we landed our first contract uh, with a cancer care facility that I, you know, through a colleague and, and we were both kind of trying to get something going. And, you know, I sold a $12,000 a month managed services deal before we called it managed services to manage five cancer facilities around the Metro Washington DC area. That's a pretty great first contract. Like, mm. you know, that's, that's real money you can do something with. Um, and that was the first job. And it, and it was like, okay, there's something here. Let me see if I can get a little something going. Uh, but God, it was, it's always, a, it was a terrifying hustle because I didn't know anything about running a business. This, I didn't, didn't know any, I, I wasn't adept in reading profit and loss statements. I didn't understand accounting software. I didn't know contract law. Like I had to learn everything on the fly, uh, as most entrepreneurs will do in their version of the story, right? Is, is you have to learn as you go. Uh, that was that the launch of that business. Yeah. And what was the kind of landscape like for this what was it what was it that kind of led you to to go and go right i'm gonna just speak to this cancer facility were you like spraying and praying or did you have like a plan of like right, i'm gonna go for pharmaceuticals because i know pharma companies have money and all that kind of stuff like what was the game plan Oh, is get anybody to pay us money? Like it really was. <laughs> like, like who can we get? Uh, that was uh, that was good alignment, right? It was. It was. I was. I, I've always 
tried to keep in touch with the people that I do previous business with or I worked with. Like I try, you always have to cultivate your network. Um, and as I was looking to do something, a colleague of mine was also looking to start something in the medical space. And he had this, this larger vision of data management and he needed somebody to do, to run the networks for those customers. And so that was a perfect pairing of the two of us because I had some of the experience in infrastructure management and he was, had a larger to some of that data management on the on the far far end, so he gave me the infrastructure work. So he was out doing that selling. It was a good match of the two. I was still hustling, and so I, you know, Washington D.C. is full of associations and not for profits, as you might guess, lobbying the government. Um, so there's a, a rich ecosystem of that. And my second sort of round of customers was all in the association space. So I had this sort of accidental specialty in association and healthcare because those were the areas we stumbled into first, and I just dove in. You just start learn. You just start learning, right? Learn on the fly, figure it out spend a lot of time thinking and researching and, and being effective for customers and the expertise comes. Hmm. How long did you run that business for? How long were you working at that business? I did that for a decade. Um, so that was 2002 and I sold it at the end of 2011. Um, and it was a, it was a fun ride, did all kinds of cool stuff. Like we, we grew and I did an acquisition during that time frame, which was a huge disaster. Like it did not go well, uh, but I learned a lot. Uh, I wrote a book during that time frame. I was doing lecturing and, and, and helping other providers grow their business. I got involved in peer groups because I, I needed to learn from other people. So I joined a peer group, got super involved with that. Like, you know, we, we acted as like a virtual board of directors for one another, liked that so much. I helped the peer group organization launch into Europe. So I actually launched one in, in the, uh, well, their first European endeavors in the UK. So we launched a peer group there. Uh, I did was a, a frequent speaker because I was always like, I was always looking to learn. So the best way to learn is also teach. So I would go out and, and do all of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I, I'd grown that additional investment in business intelligence during that time. And so when it, when I, I had a, a personal sense that it was a good time to sell and it was a time for me to change directions personally, I sold the business at the end of 2011. Nice. Yeah, I was I was speaking to someone a couple months ago and he was like, you should always run your business that like you're planning to sell it. You just never know when you might want to get that kind of payday, whether it's a payday as in you've not been taking a salary the whole time or you want to have, you know, a bit of downtime, like you said, and follow some passions because... Let's be honest, if you're running a business, you can pretend that you're going to run a, a passion-based business. But realistically, it might be a business that, hey, I see a need for this. I'm making this business. Let me hand it off to someone now where it's of use to them and will grow their business. Or, you know, I'm kind of just, I'm done with being at the reins of it. And I've had a fair few founders on, or I say founders, CEOs, all that kind of stuff that have been through the acquisition process. And everyone's acquisition story is completely different. For some people, it was one person, one deal, a bit of negotiating on the money, bang, life-changing money, they're off. But for other people, it's like five deals on the table, three get taken away, one's looking the best, and then at the last minute, it kind of becomes a bit of a compliance nightmare and all this kind of stuff. I'm wondering, what kind of acquisition story did you have? Was it simple, and then you had kind of life-changing money, or was it like quite complicated, and then you had a nice nest egg to say, put a down payment on a house, or you know, send your kids to college, or something like that? I'm, I'm curious. Your previous guest was way smarter than me because I did not prepare that business to be sold. Uh, mm. I learned a lot during the process. For, for me, it was actually ended up being a pretty simple process because I reached out to some local uh, fellow small business owners that did the same kind of thing. I had a long-standing relationship with another company that, that we'd just been friends. We, you know, every year we'd go out for a dinner and talk and talk shop, and they would always joke, "Whenever you're ready to sell, Dave, let us know." And so I took him up on that offer, and and when I was ready to sell, we we sat down, and I took a real trans uh, transparent approach to it. Like we signed the NDA, and then the moment the deal was done, the the deal was just being discussed. Right, the moment I'd signed the NDA, I went full transparency. I gave them everything. You can have my client list. You can have my QuickBooks. You can have all my records. You can go through everything because, I, you know, like this whole argument about. Oh, you've got some major secret to save. Look, you're already talking and selling. Like you need to let them get into due diligence pretty quickly. And you want the due diligence to be really intense and really harsh so that you can find out if there's a good match. And we found out that there was a pretty good match, particularly because I wanted to exit and didn't want to be involved. Uh, we put together the deal. It was a cash plus payout kind of deal. And I always describe it as 
it wasn't life-changing money at the moment, but it has been life-changing moment over my lifetime because my wife and I took all of it and we put it into retirement. And we said, we're putting this aside and it's going to get to work for us. But that means we, uh, Dave, you still need a job. You'd better get a job day one. Like you're, you're back at it. You're not done, but I'm going to be really happy in 30 years or, you know, it's less than that now, right? When it's, when, the, when the, when the, when I do retire, uh, I will know that that money went to work for me instantly. And 30 years later, I've got some results from that. Nice. So you've exited this business. It's happy days. You know, you set yourself up for retirement. You're all good. Now you're out there teaching lecturing kind of just like you said exploring that kind of avenue of yourself but I'm oh i took a about- job i was i had a job oh. within two weeks sir <laughs> what, were you, what were you doing what was the job so i went i hopped over to a vendor uh so if in if i was in the it services space managed services space so i went to one of the vendors that serves this space and my basic premise was is, is actually like you say like oh you're out there teaching lecturing it's like i actually didn't feel i was well enough versed to be an expert, to really do that and feel genuine about myself. And I said, you know, and I'm, not, I'm not done learning. Uh, I, I, I built one moderately successful business. I better go learn some more. I'm not done. Uh, so I went to work for a software vendor and my job was helping managed services providers and IT services businesses run their companies better because the, the premise was is that if I worked with them, they would buy more software because they were growing. And our software was consumption-based and it based on the number of customers they had and the number of employees they had. So the better their businesses were, the more software they consumed. So that let me get really down and dirty and involved with teaching a lot of different managed services providers how to run their businesses. And the metric of success was their growth. Um, and I did that for two years, and then we sold that business to ABG. Um, you know, I was on the management team. We sold it to ABG. Then I went over and I did it again. And I said, okay, that was, that was an interesting <laughs> one. And I said, but I think I can do another one. I think I, knew, I, think I can do a better job of that. Uh, so I comp- hopped to a company called GFI. Uh, we, were, we became Logic Now during that time frame. It was a three-year run. Uh, same job, bigger scale. I had, a, I had more money. I had more staff. I had, a, had more to work with. Uh, and we grew that from, you know, 5,000 MSPs to 15,000 MSPs. Uh, we sold that business to SolarWinds three years later. So, and then I stayed for three years post acquisition. So that was sort of my, my post entrepreneur phase one was, was going and working for vendors for eight years. Yeah. And just for the listener out there that might not be tech savvy or up with the acronyms, what is an MSP? It's a great question. Um, it stands for a managed services provider. And the way I always describe this for, for those that aren't familiar with this space is in business, somebody helps you with your technology. Big companies have an internal technology department, but generally smaller companies, they work with somebody else. They work with a company that specializes in this. They're generally known as managed services providers when they are professional organizations. It could be your cousin Jim does that help, like helps out, right? It helps the owner, or it could be the the son, you know, the son of the owner, or some guy down the block that helps out. But if you're in the more professionalized version of that, it's a business, and it's generally known as a managed services provider. Yeah. So. Business was sold 2011, 2013, another sale slash acquisition. And then, you know, going forward, you're, you're there, you're seeing that tech is here to stay. Tech is becoming an integral part of every business. And, you know, I'm kind of wondering, you've got a different view of how a business runs and works efficiently from an IT perspective. So I'm wondering kind of what the biggest challenges you see people facing in, in smaller businesses when it comes to IT services. It's they don't have enough resources. Like it's this is this is hard, right? Like so so and technology has always gotten more capable, but also more complicated. Um, and and it's there's this sort of fallacy thought that it always gets cheaper. It never gets cheaper. We just spend your money better. <laughs> That's and and it it never goes down. We're always technology is more expensive. You should just get more return on it. The, the trick for smaller companies is that you just simply don't have as much to work with in raw, you know, dollars or pounds numbers, right? It's when you get up to a, a sizable organization, you know, you're talking three, four, five percent of, of your entire budget. That's enough to, to run a lot, right? Because you get benefits of scale. But in smaller businesses, it's just tough. You just don't have as much to work with. And you've got an increasing demand 
of real challenges. When I started doing this kind of stuff, security was important, but wow, it wasn't near the threat it is now. And, and you weren't dealing with possible kind of extinction, extinction level events when you messed up in security. You know, the worst thing that we might happen in, in when I started was Janice in accounting might delete something and we had to restore from backup. Now Janice from accounting might click something and now your entire business gets ransomed or extorted. Uh, and that's just an incredible danger shift without the corresponding av availability of more money to fight it. Mm. And so at the moment there, you know, there's a big focus on cybersecurity and, you know, it's not even about making sure your business is the most secure. It's actually educating the most critical or most vulnerable point of the business, which is the people. And you yep, know, there, 100%. There's, there's people <laughs> in a business now that have been in the workforce okay computers have come along and they're like well do i really need to learn about computers it's like you do because if you mess up like you said your business could be up for ransom so i'm not sure if this is something you still do now if it's something you did in your other job where you got acquired but what are the kind of things that you have to teach you know the when i say lower level employees i mean people that are less involved in the day-to-day -day it services stuff so that you're able to do your job properly well, everybody's got to be better. And by the way, it's at all levels. And I'll even sort of say with a smile, actually, some of the most risky people are the top ones, the executive management, because because they have the most power. Mm. It is, you know, a really good uh, hacker now can use social engineering to convince a CEO or CFO to wire money to the wrong place. I'm less worried about Janice in accounting, and I'm more worried about, you know, uh, Jake, the CEO, authorizing something based on a scam. Like, that's actually where the, where the risk, because it can come from any level of the organization, and it can come from any of your partners, and it can come from anybody. So you're exactly right. This is all about people education is the number one thing that we've got to spend our time on. And, it's, and it's, oftentimes, it's literally just simple things. You need to think about something before you do it. And you're fighting your own inclinations. Those of us that, that you know, if you're in any kind of business, you want to be helpful. You want to do a good job. You want to answer customer requests. You want to do right for the boss or finance. So your inclination is to be trusting. And that's why cyber criminals take advantage of that. They, they, they want to lure you into a false sense of security. Most of the time, when we look at, looking at most of these major hacks that are happening now, it's all due to social engineering, meaning somebody has convinced someone to do something they shouldn't have done. Nice, nice. And, you know, we asked for a definition of what MSP is, but you actually have a business called MSP Radio, where you launch your own podcast, or you have your own podcast called The Business of Tech. And so, you know, what is The Business of Tech? Is it kind of a reflection of your business or is it just kind of you doing like a news update on what's happening in the tech world i'm i'm curious yeah so so after after you know i did 10 years as, a, as my own entrepreneurship i did eight years on the vendor side and i came out of that with a with a thought of you know i think there's a need for information for those that own and operate it services companies like these msps and, and such but even a little broader it can go all the way up to government contractors but you know in, sometimes even internal it departments to think a little bit about what's happening in the news and how it applies to them. And so the I, I said, you know, and, and I think I can do this. I can provide some really interesting advice, guidance, uh, insights that is very timely, and I can deliver it at scale and I can do it digitally. Part of my job, and if you know, think back to what I was talking about doing on the vendors, is I was helping these MSPs run their businesses better. Mm. And I flew around a lot. I'm a million miler on United, not by a brag, but because I traveled a freaking lot to, yeah. <laughs> to go out and do a lot of classes, right? A lot of classes, a lot of education. And I looked and I said, you know, I think what we're doing in digital media podcasts, YouTube videos, like I think I can reach more people more effectively through digital means and really great content than by getting on planes. And I'm going to try and build a business doing that. Four years later, here I am. And the flagship is the podcast, the Business of Tech podcast, which is a daily five to eight minute show where I cover two to four news stories a day and a piece called Why Do We Care? where I take, take the news and I break it down and go, okay, here's the context. Like, here's why I think this is important or what the angle is or, or why I think this is important in your business if you're one of these operators of an IT services or a managed services business. What made you decide to go daily? That is such a grind. 
Uh, it's a, it was a dual element to this. So the first was the, there's so much news. There's so much to keep up with. And my basic thought was, I think a consumable five to eight minute podcast every day will be better than like an hour long news show every week. I think it'll be easier to get a habit of consuming that and it will, I'll, I'll get a better audience an engaged audience where it's like super tight, super compressed and it's daily. And by the way, I don't mind saying that also meant I had enough ad slots to build a business around. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that that, included... That's what media businesses are. It's all it's all an ad sales game or a community, you know, selling to your community. That that's what right. it is. Let's be honest here. Yeah. And so this so this was a math, right? So this was math. It was like I think the product will be better mm. by doing five to eight minutes every single day with an ad versus an hour with two or three ads. Like mm. I get more ad slots, but I also get better engagement from my my listeners, right? And I know I can become part of their their daily consumption and become a really good habit. And those of you, you do this too, right? Anybody who knows who, who's a content creator knows that regular cadence makes a huge difference to loyalty. Well, I just said, I'm going to turn that number up to 10, right? Or turn it up to 11. <laughs> and I'm going to say, I'm going to do one every day. And so I do every business day, and then I do interview episodes on the weekend. So I do six shows a week right. uh, in order to produce it. So, but it's but this is my only job. This is all I do. Wow. See, listen, anybody listening here, obviously you're not listening to become a podcaster, I hope, because you should be out there making your own podcast as opposed to just sitting here listening to this one and thinking, I'm going to get all the podcast tips. Just <laughs> we need people it. to listen. <laughs> <laughs> you need people to listen. That's true. But- yeah, that, that is amazing that you're like, right, this is how it's going to work. You know, you had a, a business plan. A lot of people will start a podcast and go, yeah, I'm just going to kind of freewheel it, see how it goes and feel it out. It's like, no, you're like, I'm, I'm speaking to this audience. I'm speaking to them for this long because of this reason. You know, perfect stuff right there. And well, it's good marketing, right? And is. I don't mind saying like part of my previous jobs was learning marketing and yeah. being really good at delivering message. When I was, uh, you know, when I was on the vendor side, my job was to get good content into these managed services providers' hands. So I thought a lot about like, well, how do we reach them? How do we communicate them? How do we define who the audience are? What do we want them to do? And I just took those ideas and I said, if I'm going to be serious about this, this would better be a real business. And it's got to have a business plan, and it's got to be something that I do, and I have to define my why. I'm a big Simon Sinek fan mm. in terms of the, the you know his book and his thinking is, is define your why. My why every single day is to get up and educate these managed services providers and be part of their rhythm, be a trusted advisor to them, and i got to be there every single day to do it. Yeah, no, that, that's a great mission to be on because that is something that's a recurring thing with a lot of guests on here. It's like, if you don't have a why, one day you'll wake up and look around and be like, what's going on here? And you need to constantly be refining your why and finding out, you know, where am I going or at least where am I hoping to get to? And, yep. you know, like you said there as well, marketing and sales is the life and like blood of a business. If you don't market it properly, you won't make any sales. If you don't make any sales, then, you know, your business is going to, you know, fall flat on its face, but Look, to kind of... it's dirty. To, it feels somebody dirty to talk about. Right. But like money's the fuel, like yeah. money's the fuel of the business. It's not a bad thing. It's okay to ask for the business. It's okay to market. It's okay to talk about money. Like these are all fine. Just, I was smiling. Go, just don't be crass. Right. Like the, 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 the point of it is, is, is like people like to buy, like they just do make it easy for them to give you money. <laughs> like it's, it's, it, it, if you're selling, you're making it real easy for them to give you money. Yeah, and the thing I found recently, especially with a lot of podcasts, they're getting big download numbers and you know, ad, adverts are being placed. But you look at it and you go, this is not a good fit for me. Like I'm listening to a finance podcast and you're now advertising a blue chew to me or a, a, a you know a manscape shape i'm sorry if you take those type of ads if you do then fair enough <laughs> but my it's point not, is, i mean like it's not go a good I, I would talk to and i'll say because i am transparent with my audience like look if anybody wants to advertise on my show they're welcome to do so but i can tell you very clearly who my audience is and mm. what they're looking for exactly. right and I, i'll say like like it, it is these these are the kinds of advertisers that succeed on my show uh, you know, they're generally looking to talk to managed services providers, ID services. They, they offer some kind of b2b solution. They are in that space. You know, there is honor in advertising. And if any of those big advertisers want to advertise on my show, they're welcome to do so. And I don't mind saying, like, I fill available ad space with larger national campaigns, uh, you know, that, that come in and fill the ad space because 
the worst thing that can happen to do for me is is one goes out with no ad because nobody makes any money, <laughs> you know. But it's but it's different, right? And and it's being I'm trying to be really transparent with both my audience and with my advertisers of what I, what the audience looks like. And by the way, they want that. Like good, any good marketer will tell you like they want you to be really really clear about who the audience is and what the message they're looking for is. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, kind of not pivoting, but kind of moving in a direction that's still in the podcast space. What are the current trends that you're seeing? I don't want to say the forbidden word, but I might have to say, it. obviously, AI is massive. Cybersecurity is still massive. You know what I mean? What are the trends that you're seeing as an insider in this kind of managed IT services MSP space? Yeah, we're talking. I mean, I, shockingly, we're talking tons of AI right now. Yeah, uh, cybersecurity's <laughs> been a been a staple for a long time. I don't mind saying I still talk a lot of remote work and the right. dynamics of work because mm -hmm. it's all technology enabled. Yeah. So being, but it's ultimately being a good manager is what makes good remote work work. And I think there's an opportunity for technology providers to deliver good consulting and good guidance to businesses on how to be good at remote work. Mm -hmm. And that's a competitive advantage. And you asked earlier about like, well, what's the, the, you know, about technology investments. Like I want people to spend their money on technology and get good business results. Mm -hmm. That's the measurement. And these MSPs and IT services companies, they're in the business of doing good business outcomes. We're talking a ton of AI, right? Because I think right now you've got you've got a real interesting space where a ton is happening at incredible velocity. And it's happening without necessarily the central control of either IT or senior leadership in businesses. People are just doing it, right? They're just rolling out stuff. ChatGPT showed up mm -hmm. and everyone started using it and business owners aren't really sure what's happening. The actual opportunity right now is to, to work with business owners and define their ethical frameworks for it. Where is AI appropriate? What is not? What are the guidance for that? What is not appropriate? How do we educate our employees to be useful with these tools? How do we, we be effective in delivering? Can we measure that? Can we make sure that we're not getting ourselves into legal risk, compliance risk, data risk? Answering all of those questions right now are where forward-thinking businesses are figuring that out so they can be effective with the technology as it continues to evolve. Mm, 100%. And you touched on something there about remote work. Now, if anyone here has been reading the headlines or seeing what people are saying on social media and LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff is, it's actually hybrid work now. Remote first is not really the move. It's all about hybrid work. And so I'm wondering, you know, what is your view on what an actual hybrid working environment is? Is that a quarterly meetup? Is it two days in the office, three days at home? You know, what is your view on hybrid work and what it is, Dave? My view on this is, is sort of an interesting one that asking that question is asking the wrong question because it isn't, a, it isn't about the frequency or the time. What it's actually about is, is building a culture of communication that leverages the tools and placement effectively. There is a time and a place to be face-to-face -face with people. There is also a time and a place for remote. And the big advantage of remote work is offering flexibility to employees to make sure that they can take advantage of uh, available time and they can have a better engagement at home. They can do better work-life balance. They can, they can take, be much more flexible with their life choices and get more effective work at a pro from productivity. And that requires intentional investments in good management and to make sure that the, that the business leaders are focused on, are we building good culture? Are we building good communication? Are our managers doing a good job of managing people where they are? Are we flexible enough as an organization to build a system that each individual manager is empowered to work with their talent, grow that talent at a level that is appropriate for them? 
By the way, everything I'm just describing, really hard. Like, this isn't easy to do, and which is why I like it. I like hard problems because if you can invest in hard problems and be good at solving them, you have built a competitive advantage. And what I sort of push back is, is anybody that's having this debate around, well, what does hybrid mean? Is it two days? Is it three days? Do we get together quarterly? You're actually not asking the core question. You're asking the core question should be, are we building an organization that is really good at managing people, period. It's yeah. not a new problem. It just has new subtleties and options based on technology. Yeah. And, and one thing that tech has enabled is people to work asynchronously. So we don't all need to be in the same place at the same time, shuffling bits of paper around. It can be something right. as simple as <laughs> I've done my bit. I put a message in Slack or I, you know, tick a box and it sends you a message that, hey, this bit's done. You can get onto this, you know, and the time frame is there for everybody to see. It's like, okay, this is going to take five days. This part should take one to two days, which means this part will take another one to two days. We should be done by this day. And, you know, I think that's something that a lot of businesses are kind of stuck in is doing a lot of manual work which is like we don't live in a very manual world you know imagine if you went to tap your credit card or your your debit card and then they're like oh hang on a sec let me just call the bank hello has so-and-so got enough money for this thing oh they do okay okay hang on a second let me call my bank hey i'm gonna receive a payment from so-and-so can you make sure that you're ready to receive this payment it's all very much like instant and we can just do things remotely via the internet all this kind of stuff so i'm wondering for you you know what is something that you think most business owners could do today to kind of remove the the manual kind of old school way of working from their their workplace, you know, to get a step closer to that hybrid and or remote workforce? They really need to understand what asynchronous work is and really dive into how you manage differently asynchronous work. This is much more, it's really easy to manage time, right? That's the, that's the fallback that everybody, oh, you must work 42 hours, right? Like you've got to get in that exact time. It is real easy to measure just time. It is actually hard to measure asynchronous work. And that's why most people don't do it is because it, it is measurements around that become very difficult. You become very nervous at the idea of, well, I'm not keeping an eye on, on how much they're actually working and how do I know the work is getting done? That's where the nervousness happens. And you have to be very intentional on doing that. And I would, I, when I talk to, to those that are thinking about this, yes, managers, you are going to have to learn a new set of skills. And this is different and is a different way of managing. And it requires systems, right? Which is why it's a technology-enabled one. Is, is that way you can use systems to, to measure progress and to watch, as you just described, to watch that project management. But that's a different set of skills than just sort of saying, well, I'm going to be in here. I'm going to make sure they do their 42 hours a week. And, that and, if they, and if they just do that, I know by default we hit enough. Yep, that's not going to be good enough anymore. And you don't get to see them anymore. You're not Bill Lumberg walking around with your cup of coffee checking in on the TPS reports anymore because that's not effective. You're going to have to do it in a way where you may not be able to see them and you're going to have to build in trust into the system that you're managing. Yeah. I feel like as well, a lot of, you know, leaders and managers, they kind of operate like a, either a prison warden or a teacher where they're like, you know, herding people in a direction and making sure they're behind this door and they get to this place and do that thing. And it's like, realistically, you should just be almost like how you grow a plant. You know, you water it a bit, you watch, you go, oh, that's not right. OK, let's, you know, pull that leaf off and all that kind of stuff and make sure that you guide something in the way it should be as opposed to kind of force it to go your way. I, I don't know what your view on that type of leadership is, but yeah, my, my view on this is I, I've always been my personal best and I've seen this as the best leaders I've ever worked for and worked with when the leader views them as their job as removing obstacles. Mm. My job when I managed a team was to keep things out of my team's way mm. <laughs> is, and at the best I could do to anticipate problems and remove those potential obstacles from them so they could move as fast as they needed to move was when things were going at their best. Managers too often think they have to push employees. I don't think that's the way it's done. I actually think what you're doing is creating space for them to run. 
Because if you've made sure that when they start running, they're not going to be things in their way that they stumble on, they are going to be incredibly more powerful and more effective. And by the way, you build incredible trust <laughs> when, when they know that they can just start moving and you don't have their back, you're the wind in their sails. <laughs> you're, you're the bit that is making sure that they're not going to crash into a boulder <laughs> or they're not going to go off the edge of a cliff. You're doing a good job of making sure that obstacles are out of their way. Mm -hmm. And with your business, obviously you are the leader of your business. You are the, the top of the tree and the talent in the front as well. I assume you have a team. And uh, this is again an assumption. I'm assuming they might be remote. What does that look like for you? And how did you kind of build this team out over the last four years? Bearing in mind, you know, we had the forbidden word that, you know, happened, the, the pandemic. What was that like? <laughs> I have exactly zero employees oh, okay. uh, in this business. Uh, I, I work with I work with freelancers, mm -hmm. um, and again, I take the the strategy of my job is to uh, empower them to get what I need done done as much as possible. So I've got people that I work with on my web presence. I've got uh, you know video a producer who works on some of my does editing on my interview episodes, who helps with the graphics, with helps like pull things together. I actually do the daily editing. I'm an editor. I edit my own new show every single day. Uh, so I get help on the interview episodes and the produced pieces when we go out in the field. I get a lot of help on, uh, I use Upwork and Fiverr type people uh, for graphic design, for data entry. Uh, I work, of course, I've got a great accountant who is a, you know, I work on a contract basis with. I assemble a team and I embrace what I talk about. Everything is all systems managed, right? So I have I have systems that track all of this stuff. I make sure that I keep work accountable. These are my expectations. These are the deliverables. This is the this is the deadline. Uh, keep you know this is what I need it by, and I expect feedback on adjustments. And for me, the number one piece that I look for in those that I work with is is I like no surprises. We can take changes all day long. Surprises are the problem. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, deadlines, deadlines are useful to keep us all in sync, uh, you know, and keep everything on track. But by the way, I'm also reasonable about understanding that things change. Plans change. As long as I'm not surprised, I can plan for anything. And so that's the way that's the way that I approach it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering as well, kind of trying to get a, a better view of how your podcast works and how the whole business works from this perspective what do you do to engage with your audience and you know what does that look like for you why do you engage with them and in what ways i listen a lot <laughs> uh so i don't mind saying like i i have i always call it sort of the listening posts right so i've got i've got uh, listening posts all around the internet that I'm listening to managed services providers and IT services providers. So I'm listening and lurking in a lot of the places where they're having conversations. So I make sure that I'm listening really intently to make sure I understand what the audience is talking about and what trends they care about. So that I understand, I'm engaged in thinking about the problems they've got. Now my job also as their analyst is to do, is to anticipate problems they didn't see, right? They, I'm, I have the, the ability to look at market data and analysis or research papers, and I've got time to do this that they don't have. So my value to them is the aggregation and analysis, but I also have to listen. Uh, direct listening ship is, is incredibly important. So I'm responsive to LinkedIn. I'm responsive to YouTube comments. I am responsive to email. I'm easy to find. My calendar is posted. Like in terms of if somebody wants to get on my calendar, there's a link, right? It's not hard to find me and not hard to get on my calendar. So I invite people to reach out to me. I invite questions to come in. I've got a Patreon community. So I have some direct supporters that, that contribute to what I do. And wow, do I listen to them. Uh, they get <laughs> videos early. You to <laughs> well, they are. And, but, but, but that's also part of the value, right? Is they get part of the value of what they get is not only do they get some of my content early, they get access to me. Mm. And I say, like, I am on, I'm on call. If you need me, I am there for you. Uh, is, you're giving me whatever amount of money. I call it the pay what you want model. Is whatever you're looking to give me, I will listen. I will absolutely take it. There's a there's a direct private calendar link uh, where people where my Patreon supporters can get on my calendar. 
Uh, anytime they need me, I'm available for them. And that's a special, wider availability calendar too. So it's about actively engaging and then being in all of the places, right? So I listen in as many places they're at. I make sure that I engage in defined places. Like these are the places that I'm actively involved and I engage in and I make sure that I'm responsive to everything that they say so that they know it's worth saying something. And I quip all the time. I never claim to be right. <laughs> is my job here is not to be right all the time. I do the why do we care analysis and that tells you my perspective on why I picked the story, what I think the direction is. And I tell anybody who listens to me, if you think I'm 100% wrong and you go forth and you run an, a, a business strategy that is exactly the opposite of mine and you make piles of money, I want to hear all about it. And I will applaud you every single time by running the anti-Dave strategy, right? Like, totally viable. I'm just about getting your thinking started so that you can make a decision about the right direction. Because man, there's not more than one way to do this. There's a million ways to do this. And if you've got a better way based on hearing me and thinking I'm wrong, more power to you. <laughs> that is a perfect way to say it. And obviously with running a daily news show as well as doing interviews, you're clearly doing a lot of research and you know reading and all that kind of stuff. But I'm wondering whether or not you're like a, a book reader or you listen to a lot. Well, you probably do listen to a lot of podcasts. It's kind of a bug. But yeah, I'm wondering where you do your learning and, you know, what kind of things, probably not business or tech focused, but, you know, personal development, business or, you know, lifestyle focus that you've kind of learned or read that have really changed your life over the decades that you've been doing what you've been doing. Oh, I'm an avid reader. Uh, I do. I do like to read. Uh, I read fiction a little as much as I can on that and, and more just to make sure that you reset your brain. Like mm -hmm. I think you need to like immerse yourself in other stuff. And I like fiction's fun for creative writing, for coming up with that, with, with just sort of out the, out of the box thinking. Um, I'm an avid daily reader. Like I, I read, uh, I read the, I read the paper, um, like, but I read, read digitally. I mean, I really want, read the Washington post every single day, uh, in RSS feed consumed with all of the other things that I'm reading, but I deliberately make sure that I read the paper. Um, I read, I try, I make sure to make time for long form stuff, uh, sit down and I read long form stuff to, to try and make sure that I'm engaged that way. You're exactly right. I'm a big podcast guy. Uh, I also make sure that I have active times that I'm not engaged electronically. Mm -hmm. um, I manage it. I do not ever feel that I'm addicted to my phone and my screen time numbers would say as much, but I actually make deliberate choices about the way that I use. I'm an active user of Apple's focus modes. Mm -hmm. uh, so like in the evening, my phone has no notifications. Yeah. Just period. There's there's nothing important. <laughs> That's time to watch TV, spend time with my wife, play with the cat, like go for a walk, see some friends. Uh, I'm actively not one of those people that I'm out. If we're out together having a having a drink, you're not going to see my phone. Period. I'm going to be with you. Like that's the, that's what that time is about. Yeah. Uh, so I make sure that I'm deliberate about those kinds of choices and I find it makes my brain better. Like it just makes me better engaged. It makes me think about it. Like, you know, right now you and I are having a conversation. There's no, uh, there are no notifications. No one's heard email Bing. I turn all that stuff off. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, it's so very, it's about, it's very good to be moment. present. Like if you're not present when you're in a conversation with somebody or in a moment with somebody, you actually might come away from that and not realize the smaller things that might have been wrong with them or remember the things that they said that were great that you would talk about next time or follow up on. And, you know, it it makes for better relationships if you just eat for the hour, two hours, three hours, whatever it is you're with somebody, just forget about your phone. Everything that's in there will still be there once you're away from that person and you have your alone time and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's, I always quip. There's always more email. There's always another text. There's always another Slack. There's always another status update. Yeah. None of them are that important. And by the way, most stuff, most stuff, the vast majority of things, not actually that timely. Yeah. <laughs> the information is just as useful to, in an hour or tomorrow than it was right now. Uh, it will be it will be just as good and and it's you know and I've said this for a long time I mean, I'm in I'm in computers because I like the technology but these are tools for my benefit not for other people's benefit I don't have a smartphone 
to for your benefit. I have a smartphone for my benefit. You are not allowed to interrupt my day with my tool. <laughs> like, like that's the way that I look at it and say like, no, that's my tool for accessing information and being productive when I want to do it. You do not, you other people do not get to hijack that. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're on the special Patreon that you know that you've paid access to, no, I'm joking. That's not how that works. Well, still. but but by the way, like, and I quip about this. I I, I always have, have this thought of I have a rate for everything. Yeah. Well, time yeah. is money. Time is money. If if you want my attention, there's absolutely rates for that that can have me like. But nothing is nothing is just given away. Mm. Like that is, in that I I have things that cost no money. Mm-hmm. things like my podcast like yeah. getting on <laughs> like you want my attention there are lots of ways to do it without paying me any money mm-hmm. but you want my attention on demand that like well there are rates for that by the way you have to outpace my wife <laughs> right? <laughs> right like like who <laughs> who commands a certain level of 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 the of the attention process too like but even even that so so as I look at it and say like it's all about value exchange here right is 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 that I try and be more valuable than what people are paying me for and by the way I have the advantage in some cases if I give away a lot of this for free except I don't right I'm give, I'm taking your attention and I'm super respectful I understand I'm taking five to eight minutes of my listeners assuming they listen at one x speed and nobody does yeah uh, but I'm taking five minutes I'm taking five minutes a day from them I better deliver value greater than that time. That's got to be something I do every single day because by the way not only do I take 5 5 minutes I ask you to listen to an ad. Yeah. So I'd better I'd better deliver some real value every single day and I think about that value exchange all the time. As long as I'm delivering more than what I cost, I'm always doing a good job. Mm. And Dave, following on from the, the great conversation we've been having, I'm curious for you what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy? I get to help people. Like actually, why do I, I'm in small business, right? I love small business. Uh, You're based in London. I'm based in DC. Small businesses are the vast majority of both countries' economies. They make up like, Vast, most people are employed by small businesses. They actually drive the everyday action of most things that are happening are driven by small companies. And every single day I get to do a little something, a little something that helps some small businesses. And if I can do a little bit more that helps a bunch of small businesses, that has incredible reach. And that's what gets me up every single day is that there's a bunch of managed services providers, IT services companies that if I can do a little something to help them today, that's a pretty great job. And that's a pretty great way to spend your time. Where can the people find you online? I am easy to find. All of my stuff is consolidated at the website businessof.tech name for the website. Uh, there's a big blue subscribe button to get me on all of the various platforms. There's social links for every single way you can find me. I'm super easy to find on LinkedIn. I push most people there, particularly because I'm business focused. That's the easiest way to find me, but I am on all of your favorite platforms. Uh, I do a couple of newsletters that come out you know, on, on an either daily basis if you want the news stories or a weekly basis if you want long form. The podcast, of course, is the flagship, and that's available on whatever podcasts are found or on YouTube at youtube.com slash Radio. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.